Father, we um, are approaching your plan for our marriage this morning. And Lord, um, we would ask that you would guide our minds, guide our words, guide our emotions by your truth. Um, Lord, we just would ask that your truth and your Holy Spirit would reign over uh, this message this morning. Uh, And I pray all these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you change the shape of a mirror, you change how accurate of an image it reflects. We're all familiar with that from funhouse mirrors and things like that. If you change the shape of a mirror, you change how accurately it reflects, how accurate of an image it reflects of the object that it's intended to reflect. In the same way, mankind's ability to reflect the image of God is distorted when the institution of marriage is distorted. And God's original intention is an intimate relationship between one man and one woman. Those in positions of influence in our nation seem to be sprinting as fast as they can away from biblical marriage. Some of you might be kind of like, whoa, this is not what I was expecting this morning. I know we just wrapped it up Titus and wasn't sure where we were going, but um, this is what the Lord, I believe, has for us this morning to look at. This week, a dramatic turn was taken on this issue. And despite what your opinion might be of the situation, but a person was put in jail because of their unwillingness to participate in having their name attached to a same-sex marriage. This is a game-changer. She will not be the last. Martin Niemöller was a pastor in Nazi Germany. And he wrote a poem that depicted the attitudes of Christians in his day. He says, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me. As your pastor, I must speak for God's perfect and only design for marriage. Being between one man and one woman. God's design for true intimacy between husband and wife in marriage, is his solution for how mankind can best reflect his glory. Now, 
this is not intended to be an argument that everyone should be married. Singles among us, I want you to hear me for a moment here. You are not lessened in your ability to reflect God's glory because of being unmarried. If anything, 1 Corinthians 7 teaches us that a person, when they are unmarried, is better able to be devoted to the Lord. This message is intended to explain the unique beauty of God's design of marriage between one man and one woman. And any other arrangement is not lesser, but actually a total distortion and disillusionment of that true intimacy that is intended in marriage. And those of us who are married, this should also, this message is intended to, for us to challenge us to pursue the true intimacy that better reflects God's glory that we were created with as husband and wife. So we're going to be looking at Genesis 2, 18 through 25, but first I want us to see some background that most of us are probably familiar with, but it's, 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 it's important to observe. In Genesis 1, 26 through 27, we're given as a part of of the overview of creation, the creation of man and woman, and then Genesis 2 goes into specific details of that. But we see, it says in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them, being man and woman, have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So as I said, this is an overview of the creation of male and female, whereas Genesis 2 that we'll look at in the creation of woman is the details of what is said here. Male and female, notice here, bear the image of their creator, of our creator. And that image involves intimacy, communion. As we'll look at Further on, John 17 depicts, Jesus speaks of the unity, the communion, the intimacy that was had between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Trinity. And the intimacy and the communion that's had between people in marriage or in Christian communion is intended to reflect that intimacy and that communion had between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bringing God glory together in exercising their dominion over the earth is what we see here. Working in his kingdom together. So let's skip ahead to 2.15 leading up to the verses we're going to be looking at. It says, the Lord took the man. This is the details of what we just read. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Then the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Die being separate. You will be separated from life. You will be separated from me. You will be separated from each other. You will be separated from holiness. We see the responsibility is laid out in these verses. The responsibility of man's role, mankind's role, the responsibility of God's restrictions, of the moral responsibility of choice, and the foretold result of sin. And we'll reference this background later as we just dip into Genesis 3. As I've said, chapter 2 that we're looking at here gives us the details and it leads up to the husband and wife reflecting God's glory together in true intimacy. So after describing what mankind's responsibility is, we see that God solves man's need for a suitable helper in glorifying God by reflecting his glory. We'll just read over these verses together. First it says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man. So he's referencing back to the creation of animals and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the name called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a help, found a helper fit for him. Then we read, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. We see in Genesis 2 here that God solves man's aloneness with the provision of a wife. Now, I want to get into specifically why God, I say God is solving this. You know, the etymology of the word solve is interesting. It means to loosen, to unbind. You solve an algebraic problem by unpacking it, right? By laying it all out, working through the equation. You solve a knot in your kid's shoelace by unbinding it. The original definition of the term to solve is to unbind, to loosen. This is where we get the term solvent from. A solvent being what is the perfect um, material for a bound up object like say glue or uh, salt 
or soap. And, and you find the, the solvent for that object, and it loosens it. And it evenly distributes it into a solution. Technically, a solute plus a solvent equals a solution. A solution is the mixture in which what was bound up is loosened and evenly distributed by the solvent, which solves what was previously bound up. For our purposes, man, Adam, in this situation, is the object that is bound up and in need of a helper to solve him. His wife is the solvent, what God uses to solve what was bound up in reflecting his ability or in reflecting God's glory. What was created is a solution, a mixture of one flesh and the intimacy between man and woman. So, just walking through these verses, we see that God assesses man's bound up aloneness. We read that God says, It is not good for man to be alone. Mankind was created to bear God's image as a man and woman ruling over God's creation together. Man was incomplete without a helper in doing this, without intimacy with another human. And it limited his ability to reflect God's image because God is not alone, as I mentioned. There is communion within himself in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we see further on, God highlights man's bound-up aloneness in this this, uh, strange, probably the first Barnum and Bailey circus parade here, walking two by two past Adam. Now, this literally happened, as we're told, there's nothing in this passage that would lead to the idea that it should be taken symbolically or any other but a literal genre. And so each kind of animal, each, so you have a cat, male and female, dog, male and female, elephant, male and female, some sort of big lizard, male and female, alligator, whatever. And Adam is exercising his headship by naming them. And notice it says, and whatever he said, that was its name. He's exercising his dominion, his headship, over these animals. Now, I've heard it postulated that Adam had a super IQ. We don't know this for sure, but, but it, there's a lot of reasons to think of that. But I wonder how long it took him to notice. Male cat, female cat. Male dog, female dog. Male elephant, female Wait a second. God is highlighting man's aloneness. He's highlighting why it is or or he's illustrating the fact that it's not good for man to be alone. And we see God answers man's bound up aloneness by taking from him and making woman. 
We've read that God formed both beasts and Adam out of the ground. And Adam is unique. We didn't read this part, but Adam is unique in the sense that God brought life into Adam by breathing into him himself a a form of the idea of inspire to breathe into. And what partly I'm assuming is part of his being made in God's image, physically. Adam's helper is now made from the body of God's first image bearer, carrying God's image as well. And their descendants will carry God's image in the same way, coming from their bodies. Incidentally, when it says God brought her to man, this is why in a wedding ceremony, the bride is brought to the groom and presented. Because this was the first wedding ceremony. God didn't just create man and woman. In this moment, he created marriage. And here's the deal with the first chapters of Genesis. They are foundational. Meaning, if you undermine or dismantle these principles of creation, of gender, of marriage, you're undermining and dismantling everything above it. If you allow this in your own mind, it affects your life. And that's, again, why it's important for us to speak of the beauty of this marriage ceremony, the beauty of this relationship that God intended between Adam and his wife. So we see also man himself assesses God's answer here. I've joked that before that when it says, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she will be called woman because she's taken out of man. I've joked before that Adam looked at her and said, whoa, man. But that's actually not what's happening here. He, again, is exercising his role of headship by naming this new creature. This takes place even after the fall. Some that, that lean toward a, a, uh, something other than a complementary relationship between male and female, they will say, well, that was before the fall. But after the fall, Adam and Eve must have had to been on the same um, roles. No, we don't see that. After the fall, we see an Adam named the woman Eve still exercising that role of headship. And it might as well say what it said when he was exercising his dominion and his responsibility over the animals, and that was her name. God has said it is not good for man to be alone. Adam is saying it is good for man to not be alone. At this point, this is good. You ever buy some glasses or a vase or a plate or something like that? Or guys are like, haven't hit me there yet, J.D., I'm sorry. You know, 
You ever buy something that has a, a, a price tag on it, and you get it home, and you start working to get that price tag off, right? You could run, you could run it through the dishwasher, and you're still going to end up with this gooey mess on this glass, right? You can sit there, and you can sit there and try to rub it off. You can put all this soap on it and water and try to scrape it off, and you still end up with this goo there. Somebody tell me what you need. Goo gone. Solvent. Sure, solvent. What was that? Olive oil. My, my, see, my, <laughs> my favorite is WD-40. But see, here's the deal. When it comes to glue, you need some sort of petroleum-based. I'm speaking out of a, a lot of ignorance here as far as beyond WD-40, but I'll, I'll use the example of WD-40. You get yourself out a can of WD-40, you put a little bit on there, it's like magic. That WD-40 unbinds that glue from the object, and it lifts it. It loosens it. Well, see, here now you have a problem. Because you run this glass now underwater with WD-40 on it, and water's not taken off the WD-40. You need some detergent. You need some soap. You put some soap on there, and all of a sudden, that WD-40 is unbound from that glass. It's unbound. You've got the right solvent to take it off. Well, now you've got a soapy glass. You need water. The water that wouldn't work on the sticker takes off what took off the oil, what took off the glue. What's my point here? My point here is that God solved Adam's aloneness, his inability to completely reflect accurately God's glory. He solved it with just the right solvent of woman. And he unbound him. God has solved man's problem by providing woman. And I want, I'm going to say this a couple times, but singles, listen, this doesn't say I'm, 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 I don't have what it takes unless I'm married. That's not what it's saying here because you can pursue true intimacy in your Christian relationships. Okay, because what we're going to get into here is what the solution is. But man was bound up and unable to meet his calling and reflecting God's glory on his own, so God added the solvent of woman to man's bound up aloneness. And the perfect answer was the, the perfect solvent, how he solved that, was an equal but different complementing helper for glorifying God together on earth. Equal but different. Complementing. I like what Matthew Henry said, and you've probably heard this before. It's classic. She was not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected near to his heart, to be beloved. You see, God's solution is true intimacy 
between husband and wife. And again, if it's not God's plan for you to be married right now, the solution is still true intimacy. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The one flesh here describes the physical intimacy between husband and wife. We can understand that well enough. That, this idea of naked and without shame, that speaks of a true intimacy. Not meaning the physical intimacy is untrue, but this is the idea that leading to that you've maybe heard it said that physical intimacy in marriage is not a thermostat. It does not improve the heat of marriage. It is a thermometer. It tells us how well we are doing in true intimacy. You know, when I was younger, I'm just going to be honest with you here. I hope I don't embarrass any of you. When I was younger, this naked and without shame, that was like, cool. I'm 42. This is not so appealing anymore. (laughs) You know, ladies, this is naked and without shame without any help from Playtex. This is naked and without shame without compression clothing. You know, I'm, I'm in the years of, Rod, I don't mean to poke fun on you here, but I'm in the years, I'm in the years of the loose Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> this is naked and without shame, without the loose shirt. Okay? This is two people's ability to look at each other, seeing all of their physical imperfections. This is saying, see all of me, and I'm not ashamed. Where true intimacy leads is what this is. Again, it's reflecting God's glory in the Trinity. It's not just husband and wife working together for his kingdom. It's walking with him together, reflecting the Trinity's enjoyment of each other. Like I said, God is in loving, intimate, triune community. And man was alone. I get this partly from what John prays. We, we were here recently, so we'll dip back into it. In John 17, Jesus prays rather. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He goes on in verse 22, the glory that you gave me, speaking to the Father, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. See, this true intimacy that we see here in Adam and his wife, naked and without shame, this true intimacy is what Jesus prayed for us to have and it reflects the intimacy between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And our most basic relationship where this should be happening is a relationship between husband and wife. But it's also the type of intimacy that we can be pursuing with one another as Christian brothers and as Christian sisters. It 
Singles, again, for this reason, you can still find true intimacy outside of being married, outside of a romantic relationship. If you desire to be married one day, work on finding true intimacy in your relationships now. Don't expect it from marriage if you haven't achieved it without it. And when I say achieved it, we're always in this process. But if you haven't valued it, if you haven't pursued it, if you're thinking, wow, I would love to find intimacy one day, or maybe if this just is not possible in your marriage right now, you can pursue it in your relationships with your Christian brothers and sisters. I've greatly benefited from something I read this week uh, written by Shanna Schulte, who uh, writes for Focus on the Family. She writes, Real intimacy makes us feel alive, like we've been found, as if someone finally took the time to peer into the depths of our soul and really see us there. Until then, until we experience true intimacy, we will feel passed over and ignored like someone is looking right through us. She goes on, being intimate involves the mixing of our life with another's, a mingling of souls, a sharing of hearts. The opposite of intimacy, let me say, the opposite of intimacy in a relationship is being treated as an object, being what they call objectified and objectifying other people. To objectify means I see a use for you in being X, Y, or Z for me. True intimacy, and I love this, and I I think this is so helpful. True intimacy says, into me see. Into me see. Sadly, to objectify is not, to be objectified is not to say into me see, but rather take from me what you need. And this is what happens in sexual relationships outside of the intimate nature of marriage. Take from me what you need, not into me see. I want you to see, though, that God's solution was the perfect mixture of man and woman in true intimacy of looking at one another and not having to be ashamed. True, there was nothing to be ashamed about, but there was also not shameful looks from the other. With sin in our hearts, it is hard and a long process, but worth it in our relationships, to be able to seen with, be seen by someone, find the right relationship or find the right place in our relationship with our spouse where we're not looking at each other shamefully, allowing each other to see who we are and also in our Christian relationships. But we see and we know The sad thing about Genesis chapter 2 is it's followed by Genesis chapter 3. This is like the last thing that we see of this true intimacy 
this perfect intimacy, it's the last of it that we ever see until we are in eternity with the Lord. Because sin stepped in. And we see in chapter 3 man's disillusion of true intimacy. Pursuing a solution to the solution, they achieved dissolution. Satan offers an improved solution like a snake oil salesman. He convinces them that they can be further loosened by the solvent of sin. When he says, it says, but the serpent said to the woman, will not surely die. He's encouraging her to sin, to go beyond that boundary that God had placed. Enjoy true intimacy within this boundary. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, God's assessment of the situation of Adam before Eve was there was, it is not good for man to be alone. Notice, remember Adam's answer to God's solving his problem. God's solution was, it is good for man to not be alone. Well, in the same nature, the the serpent, Satan's lie is, a husband and wife can go it alone. That you can have all this out there. You don't have to be within here. In, In the enemy's sadistic irony, he was right. Their eyes were opened. And they looked at each other in a different way. No longer unashamed. We read, The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. That it, they looked at each other now with a sinful gaze, a critical gaze, a shaming gaze, and true intimacy was lost between them. You might be thinking right now, that's the look I give my spouse. It's the result of a sinful heart looking into another sinful heart. That's not the kind of look that 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 person is going to say again, into me see. That's the look that gets them to say, I'm good. It destroys true intimacy. I don't know if this is Equally sad or sadder, but we read in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Sorry. But the Lord God called and said to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, 
I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. They also lost true intimacy between them and their Creator. God had seen them naked before. It was their inability for them to bear Him seeing them naked that was new. And the lie is you can have this perfect intimacy without obedience. You can be like God. You can call the shots. You can set the parameters. You can set the rules. You can define this relationship of marriage. You can define gender. You can define who you can love and who you can't. It's the dissolution of true intimacy. The outcome here was the loss of God's perfect solution of intimacy. Broken intimacy between God and man. Broken intimacy between man and wolf. Bound up again in sin rather than loosened as was promised. Understand this. Those who are calling for the overthrow, the the loosening of traditional marriage and sexuality are believing the same lie. They think that loosening, the loosening of morality will lead to a better solution to their lack of intimacy between them and others and between them and God. It's your fault. You're putting this constraint on me. You're the reason why I cannot achieve intimacy. If I could just get free of this, if I could just get into this realm with my relationship, then I will be there. And the enemy is just leading them further away. But, you know, we heterosexuals have not done a wonderful job of marriage ourselves. It started with us. But know as I say that, that in our failures, our Father looks at us without shame. Those that want to change traditional marriage think that the solvent that they need will bring the right solution. But it never is. The solvent of sin is never bringing us to the right solution. In all honesty, we have to admit that their ranks are filled with those who were hurt by traditional marriage as adults or as children or hurt by someone in an intimate way. It's interesting for those that, let me just say as a sign, for those that experience um, a disruption of intimacy as children, for those that experience um, abuse in a way that causes them to say, I'm okay, you don't need to look in here, that are treated as an object, they actually will go on through their life until there's healing. They will go on through their life welcoming being treated as an object 
because they are afraid to let somebody back in here. In all honesty, it's much is because for those that are pushing for this change is because that the marriages that they knew tried to do the same to be married without the work of God in their life. Without intimacy with God, without true intimacy with each other. So our response should be filled, let me say, with gospel grace. Our response should be filled with the willingness to let people open up and say, into me, see, and to bring grace there. That can only happen in personal relationship. Closing up the ranks and saying, okay, we're on this side and you're out there doesn't do it. Our response should be filled with gospel grace, should reflect the intimacy that they're longing for, intimacy with God and with each other. They should find as an, it as inviting them to say, into me see and feel that God's grace there. Um, there was an interview given to by um, this uh, county clerk and and. I just, if, if it wasn't just so, such profound statements, I wouldn't share it here. But I believe it embodies the grace of God when going through a situation like this, of being challenged so strongly, so pushed so hard. And her statement is this, my God in heaven knows every crack, every crevice, every deep place in my heart. He knows the thoughts that are in my mind before I even think them. And he's given me such beautiful and wonderful grace through all of this. And she says later, all I can say to them, being those that, that have brought so much against her as kind of this poster child of traditional marriage, all I can say to them is if they have a sordid past like what I had, they too can receive the cleansing and renewing. And they can start afresh, start a fresh life, and they can be different. They don't have to remain in their sin. There's hope for tomorrow. And then a sobering statement I read in this article where she says, I'm just a vessel that God has chosen for this time in this place. I'm no different than any other Christian. It was my appointed time to stand. And speaking of us, she says, and theirs will come. Our, not, our time needs to be filled promoting the fact, filled with grace and promoting the fact that God really can lead us to that intimacy that we all long for. But speaking of marriage in general, speaking of marriage as being Um, the pursuit of undistorted reflecting of God's glory. It makes me think of a story of a town clock. It was in the center of town. And the town was so proud of it. And the town ran by it. And then one day it just stopped working. 
And so the council got together and they, and they put together names of, of uh, renowned clock workers, uh, repairmen that, that could fix this. And they, they had one after another come to fix it. And, and uh, there was, uh, started with a crowd of people kind of watching expectantly for the clock to start running. But rep- one man after another that was not able to fix the clock went by and the crowd was thinning out and thinning out and thinning out until it was just one man, one old man standing there. And, and it came down to just the town maintenance crew just trying their best to, to you know, uh, maybe they'd run through their budget on this. And, and day after day, it's just that old man standing there watching them work on this clock. He finally asked them, can I have a try at it? They're like, no, we have had every expert work on this. It's like, all right. Next day, can I have a try at it? Why are you even here? Go away. We got too much to worry about trying to get this clock fixed. So finally, one day, he asked, can I have a try at it? And they said, fine. What will it hurt? The man stepped into this huge clock. Within 15 minutes, came walking out, and the clock starts working again. They look at him dumbfounded, and they say, well, what did you do? He said, it's not what I did, it's who I am. I designed this clock. It's my clock. There is no, there is so much that needs to be fixed due to sin. And I hope this morning that you see that it's God's design of marriage He's the marriage maker. He created it. It's God's design for marriage that produces true intimacy within it. And that's what we need. We need to have him repair us as married or as single people through his grace to achieve it. And we need to allow him to teach to us in our relationships about his grace, especially in marriage. Because you know what? It is good for man not to be alone. Whether you be single and in need of Christian fellowship that you can say, into me see and walk in grace with people, or if you're married and you need to be able to say that to one another in safety, it is good for man to not be alone. Father, these feel like profound days. Um, they're profound for our culture. But Lord, they repeat your truth. They live out again and again the lie that we have all believed over and over again that we can have something like marriage and deny the right of the one who made it to tell us how to live in it. But they remind us, Father, that you as our creator are also the one that has the ability to guide us into what we were truly made for. That's what I pray that you would allow us to share with others. It's what I pray that you'd allow us to demonstrate to others 
in our relationships. That's what I pray that you would allow us to experience in our relationships with others. I pray all these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.